Listening to another episode of Music the Lifeblood, where we always like to do something old, something new. I'm your very humble host, Dustin. Hardcore Carter, what are we talking about? Lucifuge, Danzig 2. You make, basically, uh, every time you do, every time you do the intro, you make it sound like a ghost villain off of Scooby Doo. <laughs> right, right. All right. So we're talking about Lucifuge, the second album in the Danzig Pantheon. Lots of cool stuff going on with this album. Now, I did a bunch of research for this. Uh, on top of, I mean, I've been listening to it forever now. Uh, I love right. that album. I think it's incredible. Do you just kind of, you know, out of the gate, are you a fan of this album? Oh, dude. Uh, in in six, I was I was obsessed when it actually when it came out. I mean, it shows how old I am. I remember when it came out and uh, uh, buying it on cassette the week that it came out and just being blown away. I mean, not only did I love the first one, but to me, me and my friends always had this uh, this theory that like all the songs were recorded for the first two albums at the same time, and they just like made two albums out of. Um, all those sessions. I mean, if you really look into it, you'll find that, you know, that isn't the case, but that's just how it seemed to me because it was the perfect continuation of the first album. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, it, it hit it hit on all, all marks uh, that the first album did. I mean, even like with the the kind of ballad stuff, the bluesy stuff, the, the proto-metal, the goss, the actual metal metal, even, even sort of like Sam Hain and Misfits, um, you know, hints here and there that, you know, that kind of let you know, if you really looked into it, you'd see that some of the songs on Lucifuge in the first album evolved from old uh, Samhain demos and from Samhain songs. Sure. You know, but it's, it's interesting. It's interesting when you talk about Samhain specifically because that last album that never got quote unquote finished, it was supposed to be mm-hmm. called Samhain Grimm. But it ended up being what is the final Descent album in the Sam Hain box set. So, I mean, it's really, really interesting. I think um, Death in Its Arms on Final Descent ends up being the most Danzig sounding thing out of the whole, oh, yeah. you know, out of the kind of the dust at the end of Sam Hain. So, that's all I, as far as like the Sam Hain catalog goes, I mean, we obviously will probably touch base on Sam Hain and the Misfits and stuff like that when you talk about Danzig. But one of the neat things about the Sam Hain catalog to me is that when you examine it from a, a point ABC next to the Danzig catalog, when you look at, say, November Coming Fire, the last official Sam Hain album, and then compare that to the first Danzig record, and then compare that along with the next Danzig record, Lucifuge, that is such, there's literally, there's two quantum leaps that are happening. As big of a difference Mm -hmm. as there is between November Coming Fire and the first Danzig album, it goes even farther when you get to Lucifuge. And I think it's, it's always interesting to me because obviously Rick Rubin comes up a bunch in that conversation, you know, him kind of, 
helping Glenn realize the vision of the band and things like that. But, you know, honestly, I was always kind of hoping that Danzig would start to uh, reappropriate some of that Samhain vibe. And, and they never did it really overtly with it, with those first four Danzig albums. But when you get to something like Black Acid Devil, to me, that sounds more like a Samhain album than any other Danzig album. You know what? I'm going to have to agree and then slightly disagree with you on that. Um, to me, the fourth Danzig album had some severe Samhain-isms on it. Not oh, sure. Because we were talking about Lucifuge. Yeah. But I mean, dude, yeah, there's, to me, there's stuff on there that I think Samhain would have done had they had the technology and, you know, if the evolution of music had gone in a different way where Samhain existed, I really think, to me, that fourth, uh, the fourth Danzig album has always been very Samhain-ish. Yeah, I, get, I mean, I get that. Sadisticals on there, uh, what, can't, sp- mm-hmm. I don't know if you can't draw a line to can't speak or anything like that, but, I don't Can't know. speak could actually be on, uh, on, on Holy Passions, I, I would think. Yeah, I mean, but- I get it. It'd be hard to get London to play that, or that was Steve Zing on Unholy Passion, I think. Or is it London? Yeah. Uh, I think it's Steve Zane on Unholy Passion. I don't know if you could get Jesus. Steve if you could get Steve to play that slow, <laughs> which is yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Steve is uh, like as a, as drummers go, he is like a jackhammer. The man is amazing, but I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, it's fun to talk about the transition. You know that that period of time we jump from Sam Hain to Danzig. But anyway, anyway, let's focus on Lucifuge because that's what everybody Absolutely. wants to talk about. So mm-hmm. I don't know if we. You know, we can do kind of a track-by-track discussion on this, but uh, one of the things that I always sink my teeth into when it comes to Lucifuge is the lyric content because there's so much stuff to talk about. And right out of the gate, sold into slavery down in New Orleans, goddess of the Bayou Light. Black dog's head on the killing bed, severed and left to bleed. They're on fire in the corner of the world. They're in misery. They're on fire in the corner of a world left for god to see that to me absolutely sets the tone for the entire album i think it's amazing oh, yeah it's it's to me it's always when it kicks in with like that that the slidey uh it's like it's weird because i remember at a young age i hadn't i didn't know anything about blues or really any kind of like because i mean there's a lot of like metal bands or whatever you want to call them or like dare I even say hair metal or like popular rock bands that were starting to lean in a bluesier direction around the time when this album came out. You saw like like Cinderella and even Motley Crue and a lot of these bands that sort of came from like that uh, um, that L.A. metal scene appropriate more of a bluesy sound. And I've always had this theory that people can argue me all, all they want, but that I think when Dancing Loose Feuds came out, that influenced a lot of these bands to start doing bluesier type stuff. Oh sure, yeah, we're ta- yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about 1990. You know when oh, when yeah. you, when you look at the grand scheme of you know, I don't know, underground quote unquote music influencing the bigger, you know, arena bands and the stuff that had, you know, a lot of mainstream appeal, it is absolutely there. You know. Yeah, I I, I think that I honestly think that Dancing Lucifuge um I think it had a big part of the, the the bluesy. I mean, even with Rat with Way Cool's uh, Junior, you know what I mean. And then uh, Cinderella, Heartbreak Station, stuff like that. You know, I mean, it's probably I mean it's probably a reach. You know, and I'm probably you know 
just assuming just because I'm, you know, because I like to think that, but that's something I've, I noticed in the early 90s that things went in a very bluesy direction. And, but for Danzig, it, like, it didn't seem like they were doing it for any sort of, like, you know, out of any trend or whatever. It was just, it was part of what they just, what they did, you know? I think... I don't know. John Christ as a player, it's it's interesting to look at the the effect and the output of John Christ because I really think John Christ is kind of what you know, I, I think Glenn probably writes songs in that vein anyway. But I think yeah. having the addition of John Christ allows that element of the Danzig sound to be dialed in even further. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to start it's interesting to start the album that way too from a lyrical standpoint, because immediately, immediately I start thinking of hoodoo down in the South, especially in the Mississippi Delta. You know, it's interesting from a historical standpoint, uh, the massive slave trade that was going on with uh, people from, you, you know, Africa, just this huge influx of people from the African continent coming here, just being dumped into slavery. And they brought, mm-hmm. they brought their religion with them. Hoodoo is a form of that, you know, that came out of what was, you know, what was going on from a religious standpoint for those people. And, you know, if the slave masters allowed, you know, those slaves to be able to practice, uh, it became kind of a flourishing thing. You know, it spread throughout the United States eventually. But, you know, it's weird about hoodoo specifically because there's a lot of the plantation owners, the slave masters and things like that. It's awkward that we're talking about this, but I don't know. I think I think it's important to this album, but a lot of those slave masters and plantation owners would not let them practice their religion. So that over time really sort of started to enhance the secrecy, the mystique and the sort of taboo nature of it. And I think Lyrically, Glenn starts to tap into that all through this album. You know, specifically, he always talks about the dark-skinned girl or the dark-haired girl, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And to me, you know, he's mixing a lot of different mythologies. We'll talk about it. I mean, we can talk about it, but it's really interesting to have Long Way Back from Hell just really, boom, sets the tone for the album. I think it's... Oh, yeah, and it's it's a rocker, too. It, It kicks right in. There's no... There's no like uh, you know faint buildup or or grandiose intro. It just kicks right in, and that's what I love about it. Sure, that's it's neat because to enter with John Christ's little you know I don't want to say it's a full on dive bomb. You know what I mean? But it's a whammy. Yeah. It's a slight whammy dive bomb at the beginning of that song. But uh, it's, honestly, I've never been able to really. Yeah, you're you're right because it doesn't. It's like a. It's it's weird. I can't. It, not a straight up like traditional dive bomb. It's not like a you know like a, a whammy. You know, it's not. It, it, I mean, you can't really picture him doing a Kerry King by just pulling the damn thing straight up. It's just a sick noise, <laughs> right? Whatever yeah, it is. yeah. It's a combination dive bomb and a slide. I, I don't know what it is, but anyway, when Erie's sort of galloping bass line starts to kick in, and that's that's always for me. That's the oh shit moment. Oh yeah, it's this is going to be gnarly. And I mean, that that riff, that riff in and of itself, because it's a major note and uh, a half step, that's that's what it is. The round part is the half step. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's really I always call that the 
the Judas Priest uh, progression. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, you know, you got like, uh, like breaking the laws, like da 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 da. It's like it's obviously there's major chords, but like the like the half steps and stuff like that give it like that that mean evilness to it you know what i mean <laughs> right, that, right you know it's just like i right. mean and i've and I've, I've used that formula numerous times with like when i when i've written stuff because you know that's just a little tiny little you know half step that makes it sound evil and that's all it takes and yeah it's perfect evil evil is surprisingly simple to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not as hard oh, yeah. as what, it's not as hard as what everyone you know thinks it is i was today and too i which i don't know it's worth mentioning i was listening to my cd version of it that i have put into my player that i listen to with my headphones and then i was yeah. listening to uh my vinyl copy of it as well and there's a big difference between the two and i started thinking about the fact that they had mastered it at sterling sound in 1990 yeah. and i'm i'm assuming it was probably george george marino that probably mastered it and his the neat thing about it is that there's a couple different mixes of this song uh or this album out there kind of floating around or i don't know if it's necessarily different mixes but there's just different volumes and just different they just sound differently dynamically sometimes so and when i really notice it is that opening bit of long way back from hell it's especially yeah. John Christ's guitar. So it's interesting to be able to, to pick up different versions of albums and you get little minute differences here and there. Mm. Yeah, I've actually heard like a very, almost like uh, a, a more reverby um, sound on the on the bass, on the early, early version uh, that, I, that I heard of it. It was on like a skate video or something that was completely, you know, it, was, it wasn't off of a release. It was, it was, something like that. this was way back like in the early 90s and uh um i remember thinking that it sounded different I'm like oh this kind of sounds like long way back from hell i'm like oh it is you know and then and what are you saying that there's different mixes and stuff like that that were out for different reasons um that makes sense and i know that there's a lot of um there's like a vinyl master and then there's like a, like a cassette or cd master that would happen and around this time i think didn't the digalog uh the digital analog cassettes start coming out right around like the um the early 90s as well oh i don't i don't you know? know i don't know about that but i mean i do you know, know yeah. if, if it came out of, if it came out of sterling sound sterling sound had a had an awesome reputation for kind of being innovative and specifically uh george marino um i think that's how you say his name but anyway his mastering suit um it was able to do this thing where you could uh you could you could master surround sound and vinyl as opposed to mm. ju- as opposed to just one or the other they developed this sort of like it's like a ab12 sort of console that you can preset the songs on it and it allows you to do like one long side of an entire lp all at once instead of uh, instead of kind of having to stop, start, stop, start, stop, start constantly. And it kind of, at that point, it was sort of a revolutionary thing. It was, I mean, George Marino has, he's got a great reputation and this is one of those albums that got mastered at Sterling Sound. So it's interesting if you listen to, um, I think the Cult, their electric album, uh, might, might be, might (laughs) be, might be one of those albums too, that, uh, George, 
worked on pretty early in that process. Don't quote me on that um, because I'm not looking at like his resume or anything like that. But for some reason, the Cult Electric is popping into my head. So, yeah, I've, I've got that on vinyl and CD, and uh, I'm, you're absolutely right. And I've, I've always thought that the Cult Electric and Lucifuge had a very similar sound. And I want to say the Cult Electric uh, was that produced by. Uh, Rick Rubin as yeah, well. Yeah, Rick. Rick worked on yeah. it. Yeah. So I mean, there's some yeah. similarities there. Rick definitely knows how to do, how to work with, uh, different varying degrees of gain on guitars and stuff like that. Rick Rubin is very good with that, and I think that comes from his days of working for Def Jam at the same time, and then moving to Def American, and then you know changing mm-hmm. to American. So, dude's got a really interesting resume, but. Anyway, yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm yeah. really glad that you touched on the on the Stone Sound thing because you know as as time goes by, when you hear certain, I don't think there's any anybody nowadays could make an album that sounds like Lucifuge. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm I'll sure tell I you, it's I can tell you why. It's because everyone they compress everything to death. It is absolutely yeah. awful. So everything sounds like it's full blast constantly mm-hmm. so when you when you turn the volume up it just begins to distort it's that sort of uh, uh metallica had it happen on death magnetic the reason that a lot of the time so- albums from the 70s end up sounding worse in itunes and things like that is because of that compression process there's a kind of natural compression that occurs when you digitize analog recordings it just happens so that's why yeah say like uh kiss is a really good example when you listen to kiss love gun like a first pressing of that from Casablanca records and then listen to the itunes version of it it is going to be painfully apparent that you cannot hear the room sound of peter chris's drums on that album when you listen to it in the itunes version and it's oh sure yeah it sounds like a like a like a dampened um uh, snare snare drum with very little bit of very little like reverberation. I mean, it doesn't really carry the way it does on the album. You know what I mean? When he you could tell that he actually Peter Chris is a hard hard hitting drummer. And then referring to to Lucifuge, I mean uh, Chuck Biscuits, very very hard hitting drummer. Oh, God, and yeah. um, no you hear you hear his drums. I mean, this is like I said on on the you know on uh, at one time before we were talking about something else. Um, there's head, there's definitely there's 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 earbuds or headphone album. And to me, Lucifuge was a, a headphone album because I got that on cassette when I was a kid, hid it from my parents because I didn't want them to see, you know, the album cover. And they weren't Bible thumpers by any means, but they were concerned if I was bringing something in the door that was very demonic or, you know, or Luciferian in, in theme, you know. So it was, it was something that I listened to Lucifuge um, on my uh, cassette wallet like religiously and I was always I felt like I was in the room with them at the time especially on songs like I, I, I'm the one you know and girl there's like you know just songs like that stick out in my head where you can hear the way that the, the drums and the guitar are just bouncing off the walls in the studio and you're just you're right there sure. in the moment and that's I think it's always loved about it. I, I think that specifically is noticeable when they just hit the low note the one key on a piano off and on through the yeah. album that's most noticeable i think those yeah. bro, just those low piano notes which i mean it feels it feels you know the the music the note it rings louder and it's it's almost like an exclamation point you know danzig yeah. danzig has spoken are you on facebook 
look, I bet you probably lay in bed for hours mindlessly scrolling through bullshit being posted by people that you hardly know and probably don't care about. Well, break up the monotony of a bunch of dumbasses whining about shit you don't care about and go like Music the Lifeblood on Facebook. That way, you can get some meaningful metal, hardcore, and punk rock shit in your news feed. Facebook.com backslash Music the Lifeblood. Motherfucker! Snakes of Christ, the second song on here. Oh, it's so good. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I can't. I get. You know, I do. You ever have? Do you ever have songs where you listen to a band and you go, "That was a perfect song." They literally cannot do anything else to that song to make it more perfect. They hit the nail on the yeah. head. And that's you're absolutely right with with this one, yeah. Snakes of Christ. I mean, it's oh my god, it's incredible, it's incredible. And from a lyrical standpoint, I'm always fascinated with Danzig as a lyricist because to me, is he's starting to he touches base on the crucifixion in this song. I think he's kind of hitting on the idea of Christ. The mythos of Christ is built on a, a falsehood on a on a lie on an untruth and i think it's it's neat to me you know the time to run time to hide holy war in the land of fire never tempt the wrath of god's going to dance in the death of life take the hand uh enter the world just remember you will surely die never sell evil for lies going to give you the kiss of life that's you know uh, that is what it is, but the, oh, yeah. I didn't the, know what the fuck he was even talking about. You know, like it, it was to me, it was it was it, there was cool stuff like you know, uh, um, r- like Wrath of God, Land of Fire, Holy War. I'm like, fuck yeah, this is like you know, this, this song is really gonna fucking. You know, but like, I didn't know what it was referring to at all, and still to this day, I really don't. But the thing about it is, he he he's not really hitting bullet points per se, but he's saying buzzwords that just freaking just like uh, well no i think it's 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 theology he's talking about theology and the the theology is is how you interpret whatever's going on with religion you know when you take was it um uh, i think it's the second verse serpent jesus snakes of christ nailed to a cross of holy design blood to water water to wine whip the soul till the mother cries bring it down Mm -hmm. pierce the side start the legend with a funeral rite Serpent Jesus, snakes of Christ, going to build you a world of lies. To me, he's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the the line, the uh, whip the soul uh, till the mother cries. He's talking about Mary the yeah. uh, crying and then pierced the side. We're talking about the Roman soldier jabbing Christ in the side up on the cross with his little trident thing. And I, I, to me... To me, it's 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 conjuring up questions about you know do we exist in a sort of hell on earth? Is God part of the suffering on earth? And to me, he's trying to draw a line in the sand, or he's trying. I guess he's more kind of like erasing the line in the sand that there is not a separation from earth and heaven. That in this sense. Christ is no different than us, and by virtue of that, he's saying God is no different than us, and that the idea that, you know, the crucifixion was a masquerade, the idea of using blasphemy and religious images and ideas in that sense to discredit the idea of Christ as a holy figure. To me, 
that's that's how I hear it. That's how I understand those lyrics, which is it's interesting. Like I wish that you could teach Danzig lyrics in a theology class at like a university level because it's something like I would want to go sit and take notes and that sort of thing because it is obvious that he is a student of of old world religions and how they relate to now, how they relate to modern day Christianity and Catholicism and things like that. And I mean, this song specifically, it's really, really interesting because I think, yeah, like I said, I, I walk away with it feeling like he's trying to point out that there's not much difference between us and them. This is the first song that it kind of like showed to me that, okay, you know what? He's not just this quote unquote devil worshiper guy or some Satanist. This is where I started to see him as not like a, a Satanist or anybody obsessed with demons and stuff like that. This is where I really kind of saw like more of like, a, like you said, more of a, like a, so, a social commentary, if that makes sense. You know, sure, and it's sure. kind of like, uh, you know, like you said, showing that, you know, you know that, that Jesus was a human. And to me, I see it as kind of like discrediting, discrediting the whole Messiah idea. And you know, worshiping a, a human or looking up to a human once you find out that they're mortal as well. You know, it, it's just it's it's so fucking intense because there's so much to it. But if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of someone just wants to just rock the fuck out, it's just yeah, it's some intense blasphemy shit. <laughs> but the way you just all broke it down, you're absolutely right. There 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 could be a class because he's you know anybody that's a huge Danzig fan, kind of like, like we are, you know, you know that he's very well read. And he's not just, you know, God, you know, God and the devil about things. He's, you know, very deep in that. And like I said, this is the first song that I was just like, wait a minute, you know, he might not be. And I, and I actually had a friend of mine that thought that Danzig might have been a Christian that was putting on sort of a gimmick as this antichrist type person. I mean, it's, mm. this is where, honestly, this is where this album and this song is where my, where Danzig started to get intense for me, where like I, was afraid to listen to it at night. You know what I mean? It was really just, you know, I'm, I'm not even playing, dude. Like, it was just kind of like, it was it was deeper than just, like, uh, old old 60s horror movie themes, you know? Right, I mean, right, it's, right. Yeah, it's fucking, that's where I was, I'm like, okay, I'm fucking in. I'm all in. This is, I like shit. That's why I, like, I, why I got into Kiss. I was drawn to shit that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's the truth, man. It's, well, no, I mean, it's when you tap into when you tap into uh, that side of life. I guess. I mean, there can be some yeah. there there can be some really daunting and some you know scary stuff for some people. I mean, it is what it is. I think, I think yeah, because it's just like this uh, is stuff we're not supposed to talk about. You know what I mean? It's like, right. You know. I mean, this is when, like, you know, they, they started stickering albums around this time. Right, right, I mean? right. Yeah, PMRC. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, and there is, I, mean, I, I don't know that uh, what the uh, the devil-worshipping hysteria of the 80s, like the talk show culture, I don't know. The satanic panic? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good word. Is that is that an actual term? That's, that's actually what uh, a lot of people in the COS um, and people that are, you know, uh, you know, whatever that, that's they refer to that that part of the eighties is it was called the Satanic Panic. That's awesome. That should be like a a Wasp album title. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I don't I don't know how strong that was by that point in nineteen ninety. Not real sure, but um, I don't know. Yeah, true. I don't know. I feel like they they Danzig could get lumped into that, but to me, it's not. It's not nearly as cheap 
as what that sort of talk show culture, people protesting Kiss, Creatures of the Night era sort of stuff. Yeah. I think I it's think it's important to wrap your head around it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's I mean it's a bit more in depth, dare I say, a bit more cerebral. This is where this is where this kind of starts to come together for me because I believe that, in a way, there's I don't know if it's intentional or if it was just by happenstance. I don't know what the deal is, but I really feel like there is a loose sort of storyline to Lucifuge, and it revolves around three characters. One is. I guess the narrator, which I guess would be Glenn, sort of, and then what I call yeah. what I call the dark woman, and then the light woman. Got it. And okay, I can see it. It starts to happen. You get a little bit of it on a uh, little bit on a, on Long Way Back from Hell. I think he's talking about, in my eyes, he's talking about sort of the the story of the dark woman, how the dark woman came to be quote-unquote. And then Snakes of Christ, it is what it is. It's commentary on, I think, commentary on organized religion, whatever. And then Killer Wolf is when I think we get introduced to the narrator and the the light woman. I mean, at, at a glance, Killer Wolf is what it is. Chicks want, you know, want to get it on with me, and I'm a badass, and I'm sort of into some sadist shit. You know what I mean? But to me... He's talking about seducing the the light the light woman, the the woman of the light, and it's that sort of quote unquote maiden archetype that you see in storytelling and literature and things like that. To me, that's what begins to set up the sort of dichotomy between him sort of choosing between the two women for the rest of the album. I hope that does that make sense. Yeah, it, it really kind of does because um, if you think about it, you've got her black wings. You know, I, I mean, I, I, if I'm jumping around so much, just let me know. And then, and then you know, girl and killer wolf. It's just a different mentality about a seduction, if that makes sense. Like yeah, different, different, yeah. Different types of seductions that take place. Yeah, absolutely. That's and to me, that's what killer wolf is about. It's about uh, this guy that he's clearly dangerous. You know, to to the woman and to the woman in light, but begrudgingly, he's going to pursue her, even though he knows that you know I could literally rip this woman to shreds, proverbially, quote unquote. But to me, that's when that that sort of loose storyline kicks off for this album. So I might be wrong. I don't know. I've never sat down with Glenn and said, "So tell me what the storyline." You know, I've never I've never been able to do that. But if you would put me in his living room, that would be one of the first things that would come out of my mouth. Who's yeah? Because there's, there's never really been any mention of a um, of a concept album per se with a lot of uh, dancing stuff, except for maybe like Macariah and that kind of stuff. You know, there's more; those are more conceptual. I mean, there's, there's always been this, over, this overall concept of of you know of, of good and evil or glorifying the dark side or whatever. But you know, I mean, honestly, Dustin, this is the first time I've really ever looked at it. As as a storyline being on the album, and now that I'm kind of looking at this as a, as a track list, but so it's almost kind of like he doesn't want to let the light side, you know, like the the God side, overpower him, and the women he wants to dominate both God and women, but yet he's just you know he's tired of being alive, and there's pain in the world. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you know that was cheap. That was a cheap way out. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. 
admit it. <laughs> no, I think no, I I go in a little bit different of a direction of it, and I think you know the the wolf. The the idea of the wolf comes up a lot in Danzig related lyrics. He's got fucking wolf's blood tattooed on his arm, and yeah. there's there's a lot of significance to the wolf in a lot of the old world uh, quote unquote nature focused religions. Um, the wolf is, is big in the pagan religion for sure. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, the wolf is a shapeshifter, and at the same time, it's a sort of um, it's sort of like a guide, sort of like a pathfinder that can lead you through the dark of the forest. And but the emphasis there, to me, how it relates to this album is that it's someone that can guide you through the dark. Now, mm-hmm. when we get to when we get to uh, tired of being alive. That that is what it is. I feel like he's. I uh, that could be if there if there is a loose storyline. That could be the point when, obviously, no regrets to bring me no tears. Never scared of things men fear. Never easy. Never clean to be a beast among human sheep. I mean, that's pretty. You know, that's pretty obvious. You know what I mean? You can. I have. I'll have to do what I have to do. It is what it is. Sort of lyric. And to me, how that relates to the rest of the quote-unquote storyline that I have in my head is that, you know, there's a reservation for I don't always like what I have to do, but I got to do it. You know what I mean? And it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's good segue to the I'm the one, the next song on the album. And that's when the dark-haired sort of mistress you know, comes into and uh, comes into play, and I think that's the the dark female character from Long Way Back from Hell. So, obviously, I mean, I talked about it a minute ago. The West Africans, you know, they came to the South by way of the slave trade. Obviously, it is what it is. You know, hoodoo or it's called root work. Sometimes I've heard that term used, and it's you know in the in the Mississippi Delta where you know the slave population was thick. You know, they got to practice, but they had to do it in in sort of in mystery, in hushed tones sort of thing. And that it that creates a sort of blasphemous sort of thing that surrounds it, that it's a secret. You shouldn't be when, you know, secrets are secrets. Sometimes people aren't supposed to know about them, that sort of thing. So and it's interesting to me because if you're going to appropriate a storyline to this album, that is the point at which he begins his sort of affiliation with with the the dark-haired the dark-haired girl it's and i think the best comparison in this instance is lilith uh, and the reason i always go back to lilith is because that's a character whether he names it or not lyrically it comes up everywhere in the danzig uh lyrical you know, lexicon of stuff that he writes about and things like that. The Lilith character, it is what it is. If you've done your, you know, you, you've, you know, looked up your stuff. Lilith was uh, Adam's woman before Eve. And the mm-hmm. neat, the neat thing about, or the most interesting thing about Lilith is that she's, I kind of almost see her as the femme fatale uh, archetype archetypal character but in this instance the narrator in this sense i guess we call it glenn (laughs) puts himself on evil on almost on equal footing with that lilith character um and you can see it with uh 
you know, I made love to the dark haired girl, to the howl of the wolves, you know, that sort of thing that this dark haired girl, he wandered off into the darkness and he met her and she kind of anointed him sort of, I guess, for lack of a better word, the chosen one, I guess. Um, That's the best way I can interpret it. But the neat thing about the Lilith character is that it's the femme fatale archetype in, in literature is she's all about seduction promiscuity is usually a trait of hers or the the her she's enchanting you know that sort of thing when you listen to a song like uh her black wings uh the quote is enchantment on legs you know what i mean uh it's a thematic element of sort of embracing and drawing power from the dark side by being anointed by this quote-unquote enchantress i hope that makes sense but i feel like when when we talk about in the context of that I'm the one as a song, I I start thinking about the hoodoo stuff again, and that you know you can draw parallels to Catholicism in that hoodoo is a very tangible religion. There's there's powders and mojo, you know, and talismans. It's also where zombies came from too. Is from the hoodoo. <laughs> right. Well, right. Yeah. Well, no, I guess yeah. If you once the Haitians got involved, things got really weird, um, but. You have you have within the Danzig sort of uh, visual the imagery. You have the skull, the you know you have the dagger that he sometimes has. You have the necklace that he wears. You know that sort of thing. And I feel like that's all signs pointing to that there is some sort of a touchstone with with hoodoo and specifically this dark haired girl who I think is in his mind the Lilith character he's talking about lilith i mean it's interesting when you go from i'm the one to her black wings her black wings is when things really that's lyrically when things really really change on the album plus it's just i mean it's a badass song dun 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 it's got it's got that sort of rolling riff that it has i I don't know. It's it's just really interesting to kind of twist and turn through this and the idea that there could be sort of a storyline there. I think it's for me. Do you, it's, do, you uh, do you feel sweaty when you listen to this album? <laughs> There's a combination of like you're sweaty because of all the the sexual overtones and the adrenaline rush, and also that like I imagine myself being down in New Orleans. You know, like, you know, just like on the hottest day of the summer, you know, with you've got, you got evil all around you. You've got, you know, you've got the, you know, the, the vibe of the hoodoo, you know, and it's, it's just, it's just, it, this has always been a fucking dead of the summer album. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. And I think with all the themes that you're touching on and things that you're bringing up that I really didn't know about in a lot of these songs, it makes sense because it's almost kind of like I'm subliminally given this, you know, this feeling of, of sweating and being hot, you know what I mean? And it's like, I always picture, like, just one of those days where, like, the AC, the AC doesn't work for some reason, and you're out on the front porch with a fan on you, there's no right. release, but, like, you know, and it's just, but it's, it's like, the pitch, pitch blackout, I mean, it just, it sets such a tone, and the way that you just broke down um, the last song on the one, I mean, you know, it's it's very, very much a, a stripped down acoustic blues song as well, you know, and it's just like it sets the tone because it could almost be like the movie soundtrack to the story that you're talking about if it was ever ever made a movie, how it dips into like an acoustic 
blues song and then to like a a powerful dare I even say like almost like a power ballad for Danzig. I mean, you've got ballads, you've got power ballads, and this is very, it very much has like that an anthemic build. And then when it goes to the chorus, the chorus is very soaring, and you know, and it's just kind of like it, it builds up to the chorus, and the chorus doesn't drop off and let you down, but it's just kind of like you know, it's the you know under her black wings, you know, it's like it's it gets kind of somber. He croons like he croons on the chorus. And then everything else just builds up to this freaking like this this macho fucking thing. Like I'm gonna get this chick, and then oh, but I'm under her black wings, and I'm you know, and I'm I'm comfort, I'm being comforted, and it's, well, you that, know, yeah, that's back down. yeah, that's the thing about her black wings because it's the one time other than the narrative of meeting the dark haired girl earlier on in the album, it's the one time where you feel like the narrator is weak. Yeah. That something happened for for him to to need to need the quote unquote shelter, so to speak. So uh-huh. I think it's and also too worth noting uh, when you talk about I'm the one is the video. When you watch the video, that sort of you know gray tone. It's just Glenn and John Christ in the video, and then there's the woman in the video, and it's hard to tell because I mean it's a black and white video like a two-tone thing and some of the camera shots aren't real super clear but to me the girl in that video appears to be black and i think that in and of itself underscores the the idea of lilith because lilith is supposed to have had dark skin and mm-hmm. I think, I, I think that's interesting because that's I, I feel like that's the point that they're trying to hammer home when it comes to that video is that th- this is who it is. This is who it is. But the, the video wasn't done in a way that uh, she was menacing, you know. And sometimes, you know, as far as the narrative from the album goes, to me, there are times when I feel like the dark woman the dark-haired girl, whatever you want to call it, is there's a some sort of a menacing vibe to it. And I think it comes from her black wings, specifically, because the way that, you know, when, when we talk about the femme fatale as that archetypal character, I said seduction and, you know, enchantment, she's able to just kind of like bewitch men. You know, the, the, neat, the, the, the most interesting thing about the femme fatale character is that her most her most defining trait is her rejection of motherhood in that sense that is that is absolutely like the ultimate insult to man to to the male so when you have this dark figure this lilith character when she allows the male to take shelter quote unquote under her black wings it means something big because she's not willing she's not willing to 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 birth you know what i mean she's just not going to do it she rejects motherhood in that sense but she's willing to have a a moment of caring an outward moment of caring because this male character needs help and to me that further pushes the narrative that the narrator and this the dark woman are on equal footing. Well, or, or it could be that the narrator is is succumbing to um, the dark woman, you know, under her black wings, and you know he's just kind of he's sort of he's submit becoming submissive to it, 
you know. Um, I mean, yeah, that's and, I, that's yeah, that's potential. Yeah, absolutely. To where it could, it could be, be both. Yeah, it could be. It could continue the story of what we, you know, what we got in um, what is what's the was that Killer Wolf? Yeah, it would be Killer Wolf. So. I don't know. It's really interesting. But as far as songs go, man, that's a good song. It's heavy without being overtly just metal. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's heavy in a mood kind of way as opposed to a musical kind of way. Yeah, and it's all, to me, that song is all about the build. I mean, it's like so much of a, a, a build up, you know, and like it's like, you know, when she comes and the emo duck in another form, da, da, it's like you think it's going to like rock into a full on like ACDC kind of thing, you know, and then and then it goes back into the chorus, which is this, you know, I, I, I want to, I keep wanting to say somber, but somber isn't the right word for it, but like it just, it flow, it goes back down, and then with the whoa, whoa, it just it gives it, it the, the intentional melody. And the woes gives it that like it's it's a song. It's almost kind of like you've got masculine feminine all kind of like back and forth. You know what I'm saying? Like the build is very macho, and then it sure. goes into the the beautiful melodic um, you know chorus. You I know? think it's I and, think I I I think the best the best word I can think to describe it from a like a music acumen standpoint is restraint. Danzig, sure. okay. Danzig, the band on this album specifically learned how restraint could enhance the the sort of the storytelling the dynamics of the songwriting that sort of thing and i it's uh megadeth also does it a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, megadeth when you feel or fugazi would be a really good example of it that you feel like they're just gonna ah, they're gonna freak out you know what i mean but sometimes it doesn't happen people always point to black sabbath as being a big influence on, I would say more so the first dancing album than this one, but there's also some elements of, um, of Zeppelin. I really think it's where they really define what the fuck they're all about. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. You know, usually bands do that on their third one. You know, it's, it's like, this doesn't suffer from the sophomore jinx whatsoever. You know, it's not like, okay, well, the second album's not as good as the first one. It's like, oh my God, the second one is just as good or better than the first one, but it doesn't discount the first one. It's it's really fucking unique how the first three the first three dancing albums all fit together because I can listen to them all three back to back, and to me they're all one album to a certain degree. But now that you're bringing this whole storyline thing, it's fucking up my whole perception of the three albums, <laughs> you know, in a good way because it's, it's making me kind of go back and like to me is this is the prime example. This is where it really really came into its own for me. Yeah, I think it's a good the the best I always say it you can you can you can say things that are profound without mm-hmm. having to be profoundly complex. There is Absolutely. there is a sort of uh profound nature in things that are simple to the point and they don't talk over your head. You know, that's how that's how you best learn when when things are used and translated in in a context that everyone can understand and in this sense he makes very very complex things from the old world quote unquote yeah very very understandable it's catchy 
And that's fucking hard to do. You cannot write a song about fucking crucifixion and make it and give it pop sensibility. Right. right yeah. You know what I, I mean? It's, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I think it's 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 strange because uh, when we, I mean, when we talked about Ghost, never in a million years would we have thought that we would have a band like Ghost, you know, and an oh, audience and an audience of twenty five, <laughs> thirty thousand people shouting uh, Lucifer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you never, you never yeah. thought that would happen. But some, some artists can just make it work somehow. I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Dude, Satan Prayer is such a catchy like jingle. Yeah. You know, for for you know for for Satanism, I guess, whatever. And yeah, you're right. And you know what? And not to get off on a tangent about ghosts, but if you think about what Danzig did on the first three albums, like Danzig was shy fucking panic on this album, and then they even got bigger on Danzig three. You know what I mean? And yeah. then when fucking Thrall, Thrall Demon Sweat came out, that was when fucking Danzig was right there with Talca and fucking Megadeth. And, everything. and people were saying, why the fuck didn't Danzig play on Clash of the Titans tour with Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer? With, you know, upside-down crosses and demon skulls. <laughs> right, yeah, and yeah. To me, it's the same yeah. thing as Ghost. Like, Ghost is gigantic, and they've got, you know, um, their, their whole thing going on. And, and I, I, mean, I, I see some parallels, and I think what it is the undeniable catchiness and, and melody that exists where it's just like they've taken something so taboo and made it a different ever. Yeah, I think, well, I think it, I think it appeals to people's uh, desire to experience the forbidden uh, I, th- I think it definitely strikes that nerve with people. It's, I mean, it's interesting because mm-hmm. Danzig. I mean, Danzig as a band, you know, they hit the zenith. You know, you know, not too long after this album, but I don't know. It's interesting in that sense because once in a while, just an artist taps into that nerve somehow. You know, I think on a, at a at a at a big level, uh, Marilyn Manson did it for a while. You know, I think sure. I think Danzig did. I think Ghost is experiencing it now. So it's interesting because it pushes the idea that there's there's other things out there from just yeah. from just a very wide standpoint from a from a from a societal standpoint that there's other things, there's alternative choices, quote unquote. So I don't know. I mean, we could. T- I feel like we could talk about. It. We could do a whole another like you know ten episodes on this specifically. But any- anyway, anyway, Lucifuge. So, Devil's Play thing is the next song. The one thing that I really think about that it's really interesting. Devil's Play thing in my hands. If you don't want pain, you don't understand. Got a light shines on me. If you want to touch the flame, come unto me. I I walk away feeling like this is symptomatic of BDSM culture. That yeah, uh, that there. If if you're willingly surrendering to your lover, quote unquote, in this case, probably the narrator's relationship with the dark woman. That there's there's a give and take. The will the the fact that she was willing to shelter him under her black wings, you know, is interesting because that probably means that she's she's willing to do other things quote unquote so yeah <laughs> i hate to i don't i don't want to paint that picture i don't want to paint that picture like it's i don't want to go for like the lowest common denominator sort of thing but i don't know that's well how, uh, that's, say if you get if you get too close burn you alive you know and this flame burns inside if you get too close burn you alive you know what i mean it's kind of like 
you know, again, the whole, it's just the seduction scene. And I keep saying with, like, the BDSM deal where it's, like, the pain pain and pleasure, you know? It's like They're you blurred. Know you're about yeah, fucking, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a blurred line, yeah. Which is, I mean, which is interesting because I... I was I was recording an episode of Vinyl Thursday earlier today. You know, we we were shooting it, and I started randomly talking about Clive Barker's Hellraiser <laughs> um, oh, and the Hellbound Heart. <laughs> yeah, Hellbound Heart versus um, uh, the actual movie Hellraiser. But when you read Hellbound Heart, it's really interesting. The idea that uh, Uncle the Uncle Frank character opens the pu- opens uh, Le Marcan's box uh, and is unlocked a almost an eternity of pleasure and pain and it's so ever every every sensation that you could experience is just jacked up to a million and you're just experiencing all these things all at once i think of the best comparison i could make is uh to autism how uh people with autism they experience the world on full blast all the time yeah and it can be overwhelming and that's how that's the thing that's when i when i listen to the song devil's play thing i always go to that sort of thought process in that i think i don't know i just i think it's i think it's interesting the idea that just the title alone devil's play thing the idea that whether it's the devil the actual you know devil quote unquote you know, people that, you know, when you say devil, the first thing that pops in your head, whether it's that actually that or it's a synonym for, you know, Lucifer, the light bearer in this situation or the narrator or whatever the case is. I think it's interesting to kind of look at it from that angle, especially how it relates to uh, BDSM culture. Well, yeah. And, the, and the, one of the lines that always kind of stuck out to me was, uh, if it's got a light, shines on me, gentle light, it will never be. You know, it's like it's right there when when the line when the line's going. It's like, got a light shines on me. You're thinking, okay. You think of like you know this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. It's like a very it's like a gospel sort of like a like he's talking about like you know God or whatever. And he goes, gentle light, it will never be. So does that this basically mean that like the light that shines on him is the light from the from the fucking flames of hell? You know what I'm saying? Mm. And it's just like it's it's such a Again, the whole pleasure and pain thing kind of kicked in. You know, I, I mean, you're, you're yeah, drawn to it. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. Now, one thing I would say is I don't think, I I just don't think Glenn as a lyricist would go for the cheap idea of hell. I think. Yeah. I I th- I think what most I think what most people, you know, when you say hell, the the thing that pops in your mind, I think that's an idea that that Glenn probably as a person would reject i think mm-hmm. i think i think he i i think on many levels i think he has an understanding and a sort of sympathy and empathy for lucifer as a character as how how that character related to the archangels the war in heaven god you know, as as an all-knowing figure, that sort of thing. I don't think, just in my experience, just from kind of absorbing his catalog over so many years, I don't think Glenn probably believes in the most common version of hell that most people think well, think of hell as. Yeah, I think it's very metaphorical. I mean, really similar to... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, 
I mean, because like with the, okay, like not, not to get off on a freaking uh, tangent, um, with like with the with the Church of Satan, it's just like it's they don't see Satan as a thing that they actually worship. They don't believe there's a god or a devil. It's uh, the word Satan is I mean it's Latin for adversary, you know, or, you know, and it's to appeal to those who feel like they don't really like you know they feel like they're like the enemy of of society or whatever. Sure, and I sure. Think a lot yeah, of times yeah, yeah. with with the whole uh, uh, when whenever Glendanzig refers to the devil or like you know anything satanic or whatever, it's from a standpoint of somebody that you know that's just that walks and then the wolves, you know, the, the wolf and the devil. Kind of thing. It's it's a, it's a creature or a, or a character that has always kind of like stood alone and stood against everything everything else. Yeah, not yeah. Because not you know just because they felt naturally like they were against everything, not like on purpose to be a you know a rebel, but just, you know it's just like that sort of like. And so I think the thing that, that Danzig's uh, lyrics have kind of always appealed to, kind of like the the loner, you know, the lone wolf type person, mm-hmm. you know this. It's always a it's always a conflict against society or a conflict against you know the, it's a conflict against the concept of good and evil. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's well. No, I think the best way to put it is that, like I said earlier, that there is another choice. That yes. that that the, yeah, that this figure that you know he kind of dances around in a lot of his writing is not necessarily an antagonistic character. They're not. They're not an antagonist, even though they've been painted this way for mm-hmm. however long. So, I don't know. Devil's Plaything. It's so I mean, fucking complex. It yeah, is. Just, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, but, yeah, there's... That's why I said, you know, you need to teach a university class on this. You know, mm. you know... <laughs> Dan, yeah. Danzig 101, you know, just learning... The complex simplicity. <laughs> right. Well, and then, you know what? The thing of it is, too, it, aesthetically, it's not... There's not black all over everything for the sake of just being fucking creepy or being evil. It's because, just like you said, the unknown, right? The abyss, the black abyss. The, what, you don't know what's in the, in, the, in the black. So what's often the abyss, black represents the abyss, the, the unknown, and like the, 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 uh, the tendency for people to want to know what's in the unknown, to, you know, crave knowledge, to learn more, you know, to not just accept, you know, gospel of this is what the truth is. And to me, like, I see that in the themes all over everything that Danzig does, because he can come on and say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Satanist, boom, 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 throwing bathrooms and pentagrams on shit. He doesn't do that. You know what I mean? It's like no, because it, it's, it's, of... it's cheap. It's cheap. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it's he, he kind of evokes his own third side. You know, it's not, you know, it's not God or, or Satan or heaven or hell. It's a fucking whole, it's, it's like a third, like an abyss that you don't want to, you want to know about, but you don't want to fucking go there, you know? Right, exactly. Which is funny because 777 is the next song. Do you, do you have the lyrics in front of you? Um, yeah, I do. Can you read them? Yeah, uh, comes the light, comes the flame, comes the child who is, and then dot, dot, dot. Um, come the sword, come the flame, come the end of bliss's reign. I mean, that right there is pretty nuts. And uh, come the dawn, come the day, wake the softest soul up. Come the fire, come the change, lick the rose of Venus' shame. Come the night, come the death, down the path, out of seven, seven, seven is my name. Seven come and seven go and seven still remain. Seven, 
seven, seven is my name, seven on the grander scale, and seven, seven still remain. And the light and the flame take the path on, and the night and the day fall upon the knees of, and the child in the flames cast it out of Eden, period. That's the important part. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this song, and I, I'll be I'll be the first to admit that I had a hard time, and I still have a hard time sorting this song out. It is not easy for me. Um, but obviously, seven is the most significant number in the Bible. I mean, if if you know anything about it, you you know you you're going to realize you know seven times sure. seventy seven. You know what I mean? All that stuff, but. Uh, there's a lot of things happening in there, and it's the first time, at least on this album, that I noticed that he started mixing mythologies. He brought Venus into this, and obviously, the, yeah, obviously the Roman mythology, Venus is the god of love, and in this specific instance, he assigns a sense of shame to her, and with Rose, I interpret that as her sexuality. Lick the Rose of Venus shame. For whatever reason... This the he this female quote unquote female feels shame for some reason, and this is why I think this is when the light woman comes in comes back into play. Something has went on in a sense that there has been some sort of exposure to her to her quote unquote sexuality, and now there is shame for what she's done, and that's when I started thinking about the Lilith character again, Adam's first wife. The lyric is, and the night and the day fall upon the knees of, and the child in flames cast out of Eden, right? So Lilith Lilith was viewed as a sort of succubus. <laughs> she takes she takes children's souls. She's she has a vamp quality to her. Eve tempted Adam with knowledge after she was gone. The the thing about the serpent in the Garden of Eden is that the serpent allowed Eve to be able to go, okay, uh, if we eat the apple of knowledge, we're going to know some shit that we don't know right now. And after they ate, they started feeling shame about not wearing clothes and just all kinds of stuff. And to me, that's kind of what starts to come up in this sense. The idea that, you know, when you when you talk about the Garden of Eden, obviously original sin comes up, that man is born with sin. And that you sort of have to live your life in atonement of that sin to be able to get to, you know, a to a better place, so to speak. Your your means to get into heaven, quote unquote. And this song to me strikes on so much of that stuff and at a glance it's really really confusing because in its simplicity just the number 7 over and over and over again as a lyric. But the weird thing about this is that as a song that musically this song is constructed in a way that I feel like enhances that sort of sense of confusion that you get from a lyrical standpoint because there's two distinctive parts of this song. There's there's two different sort of it's like two songs shoved into one with the slide guitar and and then the kind of the the up tempo rocking part, so to speak. Does that does that make yeah. sense or am I or am I reaching? Well, it does because what the, the thing of it is, this is also another song that's all about the build-up as well. You know, it's almost kind of like a reverse of um, of uh, her black wings in, in a way, and it's also very catchy. And it's and it's you know, and it's very simplistic, but yet it's deep without even trying to be. 
which is again the fucking why Glenn Danzig is so amazing. <laughs> you know, it's I, I I I think I I walk away from it like I I walk away from it with the sense of everything that happens just happens over and over and over and over again through the history of man that some things are just flat out unavoidable it is what it is that's kind of what i get from it that we've seen this all we've seen this played out before when you good example would be the uh frankenstein mary shelley's frankenstein is is the first thing that i usually think of the the end of that story is that victor has chased the monster to the end of the earth um in pursuit of you know he wants to be rid of it because it's abomination you know that ends with the monster obviously victor dies and the monster decides to die with victor because you know i think the quote is i'm through with man or whatever it is at the ending the monster dies up in flames with victor and i think it's because of everything i've experienced with man is just the same thing over and over and over and over again because you guys can't fucking figure it out And to me, this is another sort of exclamation point on that idea that things just keep happening over and over and over again. The same thing keeps happening over over and over again. And how that relates to the rest of the album is we get to Blood and Tears. And to me, it's a ballad, obviously, and it's hands down one of the most amazing ballads I've ever heard in my entire life. And to me, my interpretation of it is that the maiden, the, the light woman she's been deceived and i think that relates to kind of what was happening in the in lyrically in 777 yeah i could i could definitely see that because uh with the whole uh like what you said about the lick the rose of venus shame come the end of bliss's reign probably one one of the songs on the album that doesn't really touch so much on the whole um seduction thing but it does with the with the theme of of venus it's still kind of it ties it together and then with me not really even still understanding the whole 777 significance (laughs) um right coming into blood and tears again the whole movie soundtrack idea or you know that's thematically in in a story because theoretically this like where blood and tears comes is where a love scene would happen in the movie. You know right, what I'm right. But it, but no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's a it's a hard. It is a hard fucking lesson learned for whatever yeah. whatever character he's 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 singing about. That's to me. Yeah. That, that's how I hear it. It's like fucking sorry about your luck. I I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> that's that's I could, yeah. All all alone in your misery. Yes. Yes. You know? <laughs> Yes, that is yeah. exactly how I interpret it. It's, I mean, it's you are lost in this. Yeah, it's man. It's it's super. It fucking in. It, oh my god, it's nuts. It's nuts. I've been thinking about. So, I've been thinking about it for it's years. Kind of, it's I don't know. It's it's like a vindictive ballad in a way. <laughs> I, you know, like you, like you said, yeah. sorry about your luck. It's almost just kind of like you know, and not not to uh, not not to, not to call a, a theme from your your all-time favorite Morrissey, but uh, um, there was a certain thing that, that uh, I noticed about Morrissey a long time ago where mm-hmm. either be a, like a you know, supposedly beautiful ballad that sounds like it could be a love song, but it's all 
sort of like sarcastic and kind of like, uh, you know, I really don't give a fuck about you, but this sounds like I'm seeing, you know, a lovely song about how much I love you kind of deal. And that's about as far as I'm going to go with the whole Morrissey thing. So, I don't know. care. Don't compare Morrissey. To yeah, I'm not going to go on that. I'm not going to go on that. Uh, don't even. I think, but, uh, I, think Morrissey, I think Morrissey is an overt misanthrope who not only hates mankind, but that carries over to himself. I don't think he likes well, himself. I think he's hell-bent on making everyone else around him ironically miserable. I think that's, I think that's his thing. That's that's his well, see, that's his stick. I can I can see that because with, if someone is that that far into that obsessed with being quote unquote asexual and then being that vocally about veganism, it's like the guy just cannot relax. <laughs> he just cannot, you know, he can't just he can't just enjoy life. So, but to get back to blood and tears, I think that the, the, the theme. What it, it reminded me of was. The fact that you've got a beautiful sounding ballad that you sound like you could, you know, you could do a, a wedding dance to, but then mm. when you actually look at the lyrical content, you're like, oh damn, yeah, in your fucking face, yeah, you it's, know? it feels like a burn. I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 you're, you're, but I mean that. I mean, worth. I mean, we're talking about lyrics more than anything, but I do want to just say that that guitar solo is pretty freaking amazing. Oh yeah, well hey, check this out. So jump back to lyrics one second. One thing that I noticed too, I, uh, long after when I first heard the song, it says, "Since you've been gone, I hear you've been crying." Not, not, not since you've been gone, I've been crying blood and tears. Since you've been gone, I hear you've been crying blood and tears. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not perfect. You're the person that's blowing on this bullshit, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, but 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 yeah, I mean, the solo is just fucking it's phenomenal and i personally i think it's right up there with i don't know where you stand on guns and roses and slash i I'm, i mean i love slash personally yeah. but uh um it's very much like something that slash would have belted out like on something off of uh use illusion one or two i think john christ is probably a in, in a way when it comes to solo playing specifically solo playing i think john christ is probably a bit more busy of a soloer than what Slash is, but at the same time, I think as a rhythm player, John Christ isn't nearly as busy. I think uh, I think he probably I, I think he probably scratches that itch that oh man I can do more, and he does it in the solos. Slash the other way around, but that could be I don't know that could be effect of the partnership with Izzy as a guitar player. The both of them are. It's like you know, bacon and eggs, man. They're constantly sizz- mm-hmm. they're constantly sizzling. They're doing something, you know. It's well, it's- I, think, I think John Grace relies on pinch harmonics, um, and uh, um, and Wendy Bar more so than you know than uh, um, than, than someone like Flash. Because one thing I noticed early on was John Christ was like a metal shredder playing blues. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Well, I think I mean you look at you draw if you want to talk slash as a player, you can draw a line directly to Joe Perry from Aerosmith. It is what it is. With For sure. with yeah. with with John Christ, I mean, I don't know. I've never really looked into, you know, what he said his influences are, but I would guess if I had to take a guess, I would probably say there's probably some Van Halen in there. There's probably also some Gary Moore. There's probably Dave oh, dude. Dave Murray from from Iron Maiden, probably stuff like that. So, I don't know. I I see the Van Halen, honestly, I see the I see the Van Halen um or and more than and, any, any, 
And Randy Rhodes, too. Sorry, Randy Rhodes. Too, yeah. But. Oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah, now, now, I mean, it's like I'm going to kind of like, I'm going to hear what he's doing a little bit differently because I've always, see, and, and this isn't to discredit John Christ whatsoever, but I've always felt a very 80s metal in what he what he does in on the lead side of things. Sure, the sure. Rhythm side, not so much, but on the lead side, I mean, because like I said, with the pinches and the, you know, and the dive bombs and stuff like that, it's, and I think a lot of that too is, it's more or less kind of subject to the times that they're in. You know what I mean? Because you ever know, you ever notice like, a lot of times with, with guitar players, bass, some, some bassists in certain areas get like this too, where it's like, it's available, so I want to use it, or this new technology or this new technique is the hot shit, so I could, me, but I, I need to do, you know, to want to do that thing. The kind of like, like with like the the, the thrash bands of the of the uh, late eighties or nineties. That like the bass player for some reason thought he had to like do funk bass on the songs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and if if these if the first two Danzig albums had come out about maybe twenty minute, twenty years before that they did, there would not be pinch harmonics. There would not be whammy bar stuff. It would be more uh, more rooted in like the like the Joe Perry and. Uh, sure. Stuff like that. Well, I would say you know, to, uh, I would I would say Tony Iommi in that sense, but oh, for sure. yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, I could, I could yeah. see that as well. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, it, I mean, and I think that is one of the great things about Danzig was they did kind of have that dare I say retroish kind of you know proto metal kind of thing going on, but yet they were also a very very relevant band, and they were like they were they weren't keeping up with the times per se, but they were of their time. Hey you! Who? Me? Yeah, you listening to this episode of Music the Lifeblood? Since you're getting this shit for free, why don't you do Music the Lifeblood a favor? Okay. If you're listening to this show on iTunes, then leave a rating and review, even if you hate it. If you're not on iTunes, is there a like button? Yes. Then hit it. And don't forget to share this episode on whatever bullshit social media platform you're into. All right? All right. Fuck yeah. Music the lifeblood. Girl, I hate to say it, but I feel like this is probably the weakest song on the album. It's honestly, it's the one I always forget about for whatever reason. And it's not a bad song, but in a weird way, man, it's kind of like... If I had to say that there was a song that he wrote to sort of tie in a certain theme on this album, it's like, okay, this is what, this is a bit like what the fourth song about a female on the album in here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm just, it's just, it's a, it's a ugh, I hate saying it. It's a forgettable song, but it's, but I don't dislike I, it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I think, about it. well, I think it's, I don't think there's any single song that's fluff on this album. I don't think it's filler. No. It's just, I think it's just the song I like the least. That's, I don't, I don't, I don't know how else to say it other than that, but I don't know. But, but I do think, but I do think that there's, there's a, an important lyrical transition that happens here, how it relates to my fictitious storyline <laughs> is that it's yeah. i i walk away from it with it's just about attaining a higher kind of pleasure ecstasy well yeah because he, he says uh let's fly too high for the world to reach us yeah yeah you yeah know? yeah yeah and specifically there's there's one thing in here that he uses the word diaphanous in here just kind of out of nowhere diaphanous wow um <laughs> Yeah, which is which is interesting because he doesn't. I don't feel like he's a. I, he's not a writer that's just. I'm going to use a complex word like Davy Havoc used to do. Jesus 
he's Christ, you're right <laughs> <laughs> well i mean well i mean it, i mean it is what it is go listen go read the lyrics off of uh, black sails in the sunset or the art of drowning and you'll see what i mean yeah. but uh he uses the word diaphanous and diaphanous means it's like uh it's like uh like a really light sort of like thin cloth and it's interesting that he's talking about ascending to some place that it's about the ascension we're going to we're going to we're going to go higher you know that sort of thing okay so it'd be like you would be like a uh, a paper bag caught in an, up, in an updraft kind of deal like well, i think he's i think he's using the term diaphanous in an almost a non-traditional way he's appropriating i don't want to say a different meaning to it but a different he's he's assigning it a different sort of context yeah you just say diaphanous and when whenever i read that lyric i think of because i grew up in indiana and in the summertime the cottonwood and the pollen Mm -hmm. and the pollen and the dandelions that die all that stuff kind of hangs in the air and that's what i think of and there's there's a sort of southern flair to this album anyway and I started thinking being on the bayou and seeing those like the 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 cotton mm-hmm. petals or whatever it is. I'm not sure how cotton plants work, but I pictured that stuff just kind of floating in the air. And well, you know, yeah, you're right because here in North Carolina, we have our pollen season is fucking brutal. There's pollen in the air all the time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's exactly to your point. Sure. Yeah, but anyway, this uh, and but the weird thing about this is that I'm tr- I'm always trying to figure out which which of the two female characters that he is he doing this with mm. because because there's time there's times that I arrive at the Lilith character and there's other times that I arrive at the light woman the the quote unquote Eve character in this situation so i depends on the day that i listen to the album sometimes i arrive at one or the other it's really interesting so that's where seven 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 lyrically is what always kind of throws me off throws me off the sin of the trail sure and uh the great thing about this song girl is he says not he says more than once and it's actually part of like two verses he says i'm girl I'm gonna take you hard. <laughs> I'm gonna take you. He says, "I'm gonna take you hard. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna bring you higher than your mind can take you." I mean, that's like he's you. basically he's saying, "I'm gonna fuck your brains out." Right. That's exactly what he's. I feel like it, 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 a hardcore Carter just went for the really low hanging fruit. <laughs> No, but dude, I'm not even playing. I, well, you know, I'm not. The, I'm not the least bit politically correct, so it doesn't really matter. Right? No, no, I get it. No, I get it. I get but, it. I get it. I get it. But I mean, dude, but, but but just the thing of it is, though, so you're saying, okay, you don't know which girl that he's referring to, right? Right. So that being said, he's like, okay, well, the one that's dominating him, or the one that's that's infecting his brain, or the one that's the, you know that like the dominant one, you know, does he does he want to get revenge? You know, sort of like, is he going to seduce the, the seducer? You know, or is he going to go ahead and, and take the innocent 
you know, the waif or the, you know, the, the, the weak one and right. fucking, you know, take her hard. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, well, like, again, there's, I, mean, I there's, yeah, yeah, it is overtly sexual, obviously. And there's times that, there's sometimes that I arrive at, he, through the course of the album, he turns the light, the light woman, the Eve character into the dark woman. There's sometimes mm-hmm. there's sometimes that I arrive at that, but I always I don't <laughs> I have such a hard time I can't figure it out. That's what that's one of those times where I'm all like I just need to just sit down with him for a while and just and just I need I need I Glenn I need to talk to you about this. Can I don't want you to for one reason <laughs> I know that it would be the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> what the fuck else? <laughs> There's nowhere else to go from that point, right? Dude, I mean, yeah, you've, you've met Paul Stanley. Right, And I don't right. really think you give a shit about meeting Gene Simmons at this stage of the game. Right. If you sat down for a one-on-one with, with fucking Glenn goddamn Danzig, I, don't, I would just be like, all right, cool. We're, you know? We're done. Music to Lifeblood yeah. raps. <laughs> That's it. Yep. But I... <laughs> Yeah, I always I always get thrown off. I get thrown off the trail at this point. So, and I, you know, there's probably good, you know, there's probably a, a good a good chance I'm just, you know, grasping for, you know, grasping at nothing, you know what I mean? So, I could be making all this stuff up in my head, but you're definitely honest. Check this shit out. Okay, you've got blood and tears where he's just like since you've been gone, I hear you've been crying. So, he's almost kind of like, "You know what? Fuck you." And then, "Hey girl, so he's saying fuck you to one of them, and then he's saying, hey, I'm going to fucking take the other one hard and fuck her brains out, basically. Right. Like, you know what I mean? You know, right. so he's going from ditching one on Blood and Tears to snatching one up on, on Girl. Right. You know? Which I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But by the time you get to Pain in the World, <laughs> the the interesting thing about Pain in the World is that it's um it's it almost feels like the reprise you know what I mean? It's the mm. it's the it's the overture coming back, you know, to kind of ra- to kind of wrap things up. I love the fucking guitar work on this song. Yeah, it so is a much. good song. I love the it's I it's like, you know, it's typical sort of like Halloween, you know, um sound effect music more or less, but it's it's like that single note, you know, vibrato. It's it's so it it's. I mean, it's funny because it's the very last song on the album, and it's kind of hidden because a lot of times, like if you're if you're just listening to just leisurely, you get you get to blood and tears, and then you're okay, cool, and put something else on, then you kind of forget the girls there. But if you if you listen to the album all the way through, or you listen to it like on shuffle or whatever, when you get to pain in the world, it, it, it is like the epitome of the sparseness, like you know the, the the restraint, as you said, and just like the empty empty spots, you know. And then it goes into the chorus. The chorus is so fucking strong. But it's just I don't know. I, I, I this is this is one of my favorite songs on the, on the whole album actually. Yeah, it's good. It's got a um, it's got a sort of plotting dirge sort of feel to it. Mm. It's got a very um, Sabbathy sort of vibe to it, mm-hmm. or early oh, sure. spe- specifically early Sabbath. Sorry, I want to make sure. Oh my god, yeah, the song Black Sabbath, dude, it's got a lot in common with it. Mm-hmm. You know, what is this? 
stands yep. before me, you know, yeah. that build up like that. And it, it, that song has this. And then in the chorus, dude, you've got like the signature dancing owl, the cryer. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just like it, he's going fucking for it, dude. And I, I love, I don't know, dude, it was, like I said, like, you know, if you don't, people that get spot to the seventh or eighth song of the album and they just kind of like, you know, give up. I have to, when I listen to this album, it's like watching a good movie, you know, and I want to hear, you know, each part of it, but this fucking song, dude, you know, it's just like, even though, um, Long Way Back From Hell, you know, and 777 and those songs are rockers, but this one is the fucking just, oh, this is the one that really does it for me, actually, I believe. Yeah, it's, I, I yeah, it's like I said, it's like a dirge, you know, it's, mm. uh, and it's not... The weird thing about it, as Sabbathy as it does sound, it's not derivative. You know what I mean? Nope. It's still, it's Mm-mm. still able to kind of stands on its own. I don't know how else to say it other yeah. than that. You know, it does. And it, like it, just came, it just came out when they wrote it. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And lyrically, I mean, there's some of the best lyrics on the album is in this one because I think it's just a very matter of fact. I kind of, kind of like, you know, it is what it is sort of lyric you know the what is it heart full of hell uh room to burn uh heart full of something unclean dreadful to know fair in the mirror heart on the soul they should have known it from birth pain had come to this world and (laughs) it is like to me i walk away from that going evil is a natural thing it it can just come with birth it is what it is you know and at the same time you should have felt it coming it was foretold there were Mm -hmm. warning signs you should have known and then the uh it's i think it's later on was angel of suffering smiles coming from above i always feel like in that i i always feel like in that sense that could be the idea of you know lucifer passing through this world on his way to his final destination but at the same time lucifer was supposed to rule the earth you know what i mean so yeah he's it's almost like coming down and then you go on to the you know the the idea that whoever he's singing about this is someone that's easy on the eyes but very hard on the soul you know they yeah. almost that like, al- that succubus almost that succubus sort of thing we talked about with the idea of lilith coming back yeah and it's kind of like you know with the whole blood and tears girl thing that i was talking about it's almost kind of like pain in the world is almost sort of like whoever you know if he was to walk away from the 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 subject of the song girl and he's like he's basically telling anybody that feels that they're entitled to eternal happiness or entitled to any sort of like payoff from being holy sorry for you you know fucking it's it's not you know the the world you know it's there's there's evil and there's pain and you kind of have to just fucking deal with it you know it's 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 a it's a fucking really masculine sort of like it's a song <laughs> right. it's it's a song that you should fucking bench press to because it's just <laughs> so yeah it's 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 bad as fuck dude I don't know I I could I could go on from a very superficial non picking the lyric uh, you know from I guess the primal just listening to it and absorbing it it's just it's a yeah it's a it's a fucking it's a it's a killer song yeah I think it's it's an interesting way to end the album. Mm-hmm. I think that they went uh, as low as they went with uh, Blood and Tears. They went lower. You know what I mean? It's almost like you go down to the, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Exorcist, the the prequel, the beginning, I think that's what it's called. 
Anyway, they're I think it's the, called the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're di- they're digging up this church, and they go, they go, they have to go into this church that's buried underground, and and then at that point they discover there's like a tomb under there that you have to go even farther and underground, you know, to, mm-hmm. to to get to. And I think of, you know, the really ugly shit is at the bottom. It's down in the basement under some weird, you know, door, you know, some weird thing in the floor that you have to pick up and you got to crawl through the mud and go down there and that's where the really bad shit is lying. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's the that's the kind of vibe I get with this song on the way the way the album ends. I don't know, Pain in the World. <laughs> yeah, Pain that's, in the World. That's where my it, favorite song on Lucifuge. <laughs> I think I don't know. I think Her Black Wings is probably still my favorite. Her Black Wings and Blood and Tears. Those. I fucking love those songs. I didn't want to like Her Black Wings for a long time because the video had like just like chicks dancing. And <laughs> at one point in time in my in my, my punk rockness, I wasn't supposed to like that shit. <laughs> and you know, it's like it's fucking stupid. What the fuck, man? What is a fucking poison video? It's tough. You know what I mean? It's it's Girls tough. In, it's tough being a punk rocker sometimes, I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, while, every, while everybody secretly had a fucking stash of porno mags underneath their fucking bed. Right. You know? Or the the, the, the hidden VHS tape in the woods that everybody went and fucking, you know, <laughs> borrowed. <laughs> everybody, had, everybody had that shit, That's you awful. know? But, uh... How did we wind? It, 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 how did we wind up here? <laughs> her black wings. All oh, right, right, right. It, okay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. It, it, we got we got to wrap this up because we're going, oh, this could go on. Time expired an hour ago. <laughs> this could go on for days. So uh, anyway, uh, Danzig Two Lucifuge. This is uh, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the high watermarks in the Danzig catalog. It's not my absolute favorite, but it's one of my favorites. So right on. Man, it's a good album. It's a really, really good album. So everybody go. Yeah, everybody go check it out if you get an opportunity. If you haven't, if you're list, if you're just now finding out about Danzig, where the fuck have you been? But at the same time, hey, that's awesome. Go listen to Lucifuge. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's an amazing album. So yeah, let's wrap this up. So. Uh, music the lifeblood uh, tons of stuff find us on Facebook Instagram Tumblr Twitter even though I hate Twitter there's also the YouTube channel you can check out the Vinyl Thursday videos and music the lifeblood is on Patreon we will gladly take your money because we love that shit it goes to paying for things like storage fees hardware software issues when I break a computer or new oh my camp, god new that's kit. a whole other episode right there yeah it's <laughs> it's amazing I was on I was on the phone with tech support for six hours the other day so two days two days two days it was it was amazing but uh, yeah so go check out the Patreon you can just google it music the lifeblood Patreon you'll be able to find it really quickly all kinds of options one five ten twenty fifty one hundred five hundred dollar options all kinds of good stuff so so that's it. That's another episode of the Music of the Lifeblood podcast wrapping. Music of the Lifeblood, something old, something new. What are you listening to? Baby, you know it's only you and me. And as far as I'm concerned, that's all I need. A generation behind. We're going nowhere and that's just fine.
Yeah.